Welcome into the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show today, a Friday edition. Uh, the sun's out, the birds chirping. Uh, it's a it's a great day in Eugene, um, and we've got a lot to talk about on today's podcast. Um, we're going to go into the coaching hire that Oregon has made at the offensive line position. Um, Adrian, Adrian, uh, yeah, Adrian Clem is out um he took a job at the nfl level promotion oregon has replaced him uh and then we've also got some roster attrition as a dismissal has happened due to uh treshawn holden getting arrested and booked into county jail which he's since been released but um let's start with the coaching hire guys uh Alik terry is the hire um this was one of the names that we discussed on the podcast uh, earlier this week, and it's a familiar name with Oregon. Uh, he spent some time with the Ducks during the 2019 season and the 2020 season as an offensive line GA, working under the former head coach, Mario Cristobal's staff. Um, worked with uh, Maribal and Cristobal, uh, pretty much on a daily basis with the offensive line. Um, I, I think that's a good showing there. Spent some time at Hawaii where he was the offensive line coach there and then went to the Minnesota Vikings to work as an assistant defensive line coach uh, for the 2022 NFL football season. Uh, this is someone that was a four-year letterman at Wake Forest. Um, he started as a true freshman there played in a couple bowl games uh, and then got into coaching after uh, a stint at the NFL level trying to make it to the NFL didn't pan out young guy has some history with Oregon uh, uh, what are our thoughts on this hire yeah I, I mean young guy absolutely uh, I think he's 27 years old I mean, he was playing college football Wake Forest uh, his final season was <clears throat> was 2017 so uh, this is not a player who you know ha has a, a I guess a distant connection to college football he played not that long ago I always think that's kind of a, maybe a positive to some degree but 27 years old definitely checks the box of young up-and-comer and, -comer and um, you know credit to Matt for bringing up this name and kind of putting him I think in people's minds earlier this week and this is a guy who um, you know, I always think it's notable when you ask players kind of about position coaches and just the, the work they're getting. And I, I remember Elite Terry's name coming up quite a bit several years ago from those outgoing players who've, who've now come out to support him with some kind of joint statements after the hire. You know, Calvin Throckmorton and I think Jake Hansen uh, both kind of, you know, giving some due to, to Terry for his work here when he was here. And, and those are some of the guys that were saying similar things when, when he was on campus not that long ago. So... Um, certainly love to hear that. I think for me, this hire probably, <clears throat> you know, you know, from an experience perspective, at least maybe has some ties to a Carlos Lachlan. When you look at, this is a guy who didn't have a whole lot of on-field position coach experience. Remember Carlos Lachlan had that one year at Western Kentucky, had some years at other schools and kind of more administrative off-field coaching roles. It's kind of been the elite Terry path. And that's what you would expect for somebody who, again, is, is less than 30 years of age, is that they're not going to have an extensive career arc. But I, I, I trust Dan that this hire to him, he sees somebody who's an up-and-comer, a grinder, a hard worker, and clearly somebody who his players respect and, and, and uh, uh, you know, and, and even commend years later. So 
I mean, you, all the markings of a great hire. I think, of course, when you hire a 27-year-old who has one year of uh, on-field position coaching, and that was at Hawaii a couple of years ago, that does ra- raise, I don't want to say red flags, but it's certainly a, a little bit of a different uh, hire than some of the other ones that Lanning has made. But I, I, I'm pretty optimistic by it, and, and I think it was, again, pretty encouraging to see all the nice things uh, former Oregon players had to say. It's certainly an, an interesting hire. I thought it was a safe hire from Dan, but I also have the confidence that you know Dan is capable of making good hires that are also safe hires. Um, Terry, as both of you guys mentioned, a former GA over here at Oregon, learned under Coach Mirabal and Coach Cristobal, two of the best offensive line coaches in the country. Um, that's a good start. And then you had all the all the players come out and talk and say good things about Alik, um, Forsyth, Amalve Lalu, Panay, Sewell, Shane Lemieux, Calvin Throckmorton, Jake Hansen. All those guys all worked with them uh, during the 2019-2020 season for some of them. Um, it seems like it's a resounding good hire, at least from the player's perspective. Um, I think Dan probably had his hand or two tied behind his back because he's losing a coach in February. Um, you kind of see that recently with what like Georgia did at their offensive coordinator position. They just promoted a guy from inside. Um, Notre Dame has been struggling with the offensive coordinator, though I do think that they hired somebody. Um, it's not an easy position to hire an offensive line coach or any position coach at this point during the college football season, most because everybody's already gone. Or if there's still people who are open, um, they're probably looking more towards an NFL gig because right now it's the NFL coaching carousel, which is where Adrian Klum found himself. Um, but I like the hire overall for Oregon. Uh, I think it's a solid guy, someone who knows the program, someone who's been around in the last couple of seasons. I, I get Eric, I get what you're saying by it's kind of like the Carlos Lachlan hire. Um, I think it's a, it, like feels a little different just because he was already like a GA for the offensive line before and that he was a, for, for he was a defensive line assistant coach for the Vikings last season, which I thought was interesting. But I, I get what you're saying in, in that regard because it's just kind so, of just so a lack of work, kind of a le- out of left field. Just yeah, so it was just a, but, the relative lack of, of, of position coach experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. I just, I like this one, or at least on paper going into it more than I did with Lachlan because Lachlan was literally just like one year as a running back coach and then everything else was off the field. Um, but Alik at least has some on, not, he has some GA and assistant role on field type of stuff with the Vikings and with Oregon in previous <laughs> years. Um, so I like that, but uh, you know, we'll just have to see how it all shapes out. And this is we'll see in spring ball. It's only a couple of weeks away at this point. One interesting item I forgot to mention was Alik was actually part of Oregon's coaching staff when Dan Lanning immediately got hired in December. It was one of the first uh, staffers that he had reached an agreement with, and I almost kind of wonder if. Everyone knows about uh, what is his name? Uh, Vian Tala Mayavo. I think it's Viani. Uh, the last name. Viani. I'll, I'll just, I'll just, we'll just roll with what you said. <laughs> uh, he was Adrian Clem's right hand man um, as a graduate assistant coach uh, this past season and got hired as the Northern Arizona offensive line coach. Really good recruiter. Really good up-and-coming young coach. Um, but Alik Terry was actually the guy that got hired first, I believe, and was not going to be a GA, but was going to be one of those like analyst you know, guys that 
that does a lot of behind the scenes work for Clem. And then he got the NFL opportunity and, and bounced shortly after that. So there is, you know, to me, this, this is a sign that like landing knew who he wanted. He immediately, you know, thought highly of Terry when he hired him the first time around and then had a better position to get, to give him at Oregon the second time. And that was probably one of the first people he calls. I, I don't know if it was the first guy, but there's some history here with Dan Landing, and it kind of goes back to just the connection there that you've got of he has a Rolodex, and we don't know how he got into the Rolodex originally, but he went right back to it when, when the coaching hire got hired, uh, got announced. Um, I I don't know about you. like I don't feel like he's, he's worked under some really good coaches at the position groups. He's obviously spent some time in the NFL. The NFL is not going to hire him if they don't think he's, to, you know, an upcoming name, even though he's young, even though he has a little bit of experience, I, I'm not really too concerned about, I guess, the development of the position group. I, I don't know. I mean, it's a question, but like, I'm not sitting here like shaking in my boots thinking this is going to be a huge risk. Well, I think the continuity part helps um, to your point of being somebody, Dan, kind of, I guess, targeted right when he got here for a lesser position. I think that probably speaks to some of the scouting he would have done around the building of, OK, who were people who've been here recently who who really stood out? And obviously, a leak based upon what we heard from former players fit that. And I'm sure those are some of the rumblings Dan heard when he got around here of like, like who are some of the, the most special people who've been here who are young people who who fit what we're trying to do. And, and that was a name he liked originally. So I, I think that was a good point, Matt, in terms of, of bringing that up. I mean, the development part is the biggest concern, quote unquote, yes. of like, we just don't know. Um, and that, that was kind of what I'm getting to with the Lockham thing as well, that just that there's not a lot of, you know, experience to point to. And it's the same thing with recruiting. Like a couple of people have been like, you know, how is he as a recruiter? I assume he'll be, I mean, it's all about relationships and everything we've heard is that something is a strength of his, but there's next to no actual evidence of what he's done as a recruiter besides from one year as a recruiter at Hawaii. And he took off shortly after that. So, uh, you know, it's not like there's, there's, there's boundless amounts of evidence. And I think that's the thing that makes it a somewhat of a challenge in terms of, of uh, assessing this hire is that there just isn't a whole lot of evidence to point to. Uh, again, that was kind of what I was getting at with, with, with Lachman where you kind of go, okay, well you trust everything you hear. And of course with Lachlan, you go and you read about his story or watch interviews of him kind of talking about what he's been through and kind of his process of getting to co into coaching and you go, okay, well this guy clearly has a fire under him, you know, uh, but that was sort of the, that was sort of the selling point at, at, at this point a year ago before we saw him get to work. And it's sort of similar with Terry where you can't really point to like, man, it was awesome how he developed this offensive lineman here, this offensive lineman there. We know he had a role with a bunch of really good Oregon offensive linemen who speak very highly of him, but we don't know necessarily how he'll do working as his own, you know, position coach running his own unit. So, um, yeah, I don't have huge concerns right now, but I will say of the like coaches on the on the roster, he's certainly the one that's the least proven with this sort of thing. And so, if we do get into October, November, and we go, gosh, the offensive line really doesn't look as good as we thought. Sure. It would be logical to say, well, I mean, not that it's a bad hire, but this is first year for like a, a late twenties, you know, position coach working through some things, and it wouldn't be a stun, you know, stunning, I guess, if, if there are some growing pains with with getting everything sorted out. Plus, it's it's a challenging position group to manage. Uh, you know, you think about just the number of bodies you're dealing with on a day to day basis. It is the largest position group on offense, and it's uh, in terms of players that are just on the field at once, it's it's the largest in general. In terms of you always have five guys out there. So it is a larger task than than a running backs coach, not to diminish 
uh, what Carlos Lachlan did, but that's a, you've got there's one player people. on the field. Yeah, there's more people on the field to manage. So, I mean, these are just some of the, the, the things you can kind of toss out there if you want to, uh, I guess, just speak to what possible concerns you could have with, with an offensive line hire. I personally don't share those to a certain, to too much of a degree, but again, I mean, are we going to be completely surprised if a 27 year old in his first year doing this, you know, has some ups and downs? Of course not. Yeah. I mean, it's to be expected. Um, quickly before I go back into one more connection through with a leak is definitely Trent Fig. They both shared, or they both worked at Hawaii together in 2021. Um, Fig was a safeties coach, I think, a defensive backs coach. And then Elik Terry was the offensive line coach at Hawaii in 2021. So he has, again, has some on-the-field experience. But like Eric said, uh, he left after a year, so there's no clear um, – you, know, you can't really go back and look and see that, oh, there's a clear development here. Um, you know, going into the 2023 season with Oregon, uh, I thought that that was a big season to see what Adrian Clem could do for Oregon and what he could do for his offensive line. Um, you know, former NFL offensive line coach, UCLA offensive line coach, has a lot of pedigree experience recruiting. Let's see how he is as a coach. Uh, we had Greg Biggins on the podcast to let us know that he is a great coach, unlike uh, what people six hours north from here are saying. Um, and it, there's no reason to think that he's not because the New England Patriots is one and hired and not to toot the New England Patriots horn. You guys have heard it enough on this podcast, but they usually have made good decisions and hirings in the past. But this is a big year, and now it's a league Terry's responsibility. You look at this offensive line, there are returners potentially in, in uh, Marcus Harper and Stephen Jones. We'll see what the opening day offensive line looks like. But there's a lot more question marks there's a lot more question marks than it compared to what it was last season. Mm. Uh, you're probably going to be working in a new center with, with Jackson Powers Johnson, which is always a question mark because center is one of the more important positions on the field. One of the most, uh, I don't know, underrated positions on the field as well, just because that makes the game go. We've all seen what it looks like when there's not your starting center in the lineup. Um, but also on top of that, breaking in two new tackles, most likely in left and left tackle and Josh Connerly, who I would have there. And then right tackle and Johnny Cornelius, who I would have at right tackle. Um, that's tough. That's Oregon's probably going to be breaking in four new starters next season with either Stephen Jones or Marcus Harper being the fifth guy who both started at points last season. Um, so that development, what we see in the off season, what we see in spring football, what we see in the brief moments of fall football. Uh, that's going to be straight on a, a league Terry's shoulders there. So I, regardless though, I'm excited to see it because I think that there's a lot of talent in that offensive line room. I think a is, is in a really nice position. If you ask me in terms of talent that Clem has brought in um, and that how Oregon can use its brand and use its resources to become one of the best recruiting schools in the country. Uh, it's a pretty good gig. If you're a league Terry, just what, 27, 28 years old at this point, I'd, there's some questions, but uh, not to him. I'm sure it's pretty pretty easy of a of an answer that he gave to Dan when he when he was offered the job. Yeah, Jared brings up a good point that like in an ideal world, um, you have the entire offensive line back like he did last season for a coach like Alik Terry, mm -hmm. where he has very little experience, and Adrian Clem is the one assuming a job where you've got a bunch of new starters, but you know. This is the hand that Oregon's dealt with, and it's going to be interesting to see just kind of how this progresses. Spring ball will be interesting. We'll see. I think we can tell if guys are getting better, depending upon access, I guess. Um, we don't know what we're going to get there, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to see some stuff in spring. But like, like Eric said, 
come end of October, you know, early November, we'll if we talk about the struggles of the offensive line or if we're not seeing any development at that position group as the season progresses, we could, you know, kind of maybe it's maybe it's the the, the guy in charge and you know, he's learning on the ropes as well. And look, we're not trying to say we're we're down on the hire. I mean, judging by no. the comments by you two as well, I, I think we all are interested. We all like this hire. Yeah, I think we all like the hire. We we also go, um, you know, this was going to be the position group with the most question marks to begin with because of all the players leaving and all the new starters you bring in. And then you lose the position coach and you replace it with, again, somebody who's relatively unproven. So, I mean, I, I think people should be very optimistic about what this offense can be, but also realize part of what made last year's offense so darn good was its offensive line and the cohesion you had up front with just a lot of experienced guys who've been through this before together. Well, all of that is foreign now, and you've got you know a, a, a collection of what I think are really talented players led by a position coach who everybody seems to think really highly of who just hasn't done it very much before. So I mean, those are the reasons why you can, I think, be – Cautiously optimistic, but also understand like you don't. I don't think you can anticipate Oregon is going to lead the you know protect the quarterback better than anyone in the country. You know they had five sacks last year. Be one of the top rush offenses in the country because your offensive line is mauling people. I think they have the physical skill set to do that. And who knows? Maybe we'll get through this year going. Gosh, that that offensive line was one of the strengths all season. And Ali Terry did a, a seamless job of transitioning into this position. That might be an outcome too. But I just would also say I wouldn't be surprised at all if we go ah. There's a game here, a game there where I, we just wish it was a little mm -hmm. bit better. Yep. Yeah, and that's not to say, like Eric said, that's not to say we don't like the hire. I, I like the hire. I think, like Matt said, we all like the hire here. Um, it's just our job to tell you guys, the listeners, what it is to look out for, the objective, and say the good things and the bad things about these hires and these, yeah. these uh, potentials that could happen down the line. So we laid it out for you. Uh, I think we're all in agreement that it could be a good, a good hire net for Oregon down the road, not just this upcoming season, but you know, to, since hiring another young guy, it could be someone who stays here longer than than your average Joe, um, average Adrian. Um, so I, I think it'll be a good hire for Oregon down the road. But it, there are some big question marks heading into the season, and there would be if it were um, Adrian Clown, Dante Scarnecchia, it wouldn't matter who the offensive line coach would be. There are some big questions going into the season. Who's Dante Scarnecchia? <laughs> uh, Patriots offensive line coach during the, the dynasty. They had to bring him out of retirement at one point. Cause he's like, he's known as being really good at his job. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's take a quick break. We come back. Uh, we'll discuss the wide receiver position following the dismissal of Treshawn Holt. All right, welcome back to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Um, as we said at the beginning, uh, we're going to talk about the wide receiver group. Um, Treshawn Holden has been dismissed following an arrest uh, earlier this week. Um, we're not going to discuss much about the details of what happened or, you know, that side of things. We just want to talk about just what happens next for Oregon. Um, cause it was a swift move by, by landing, um, same day of the arrest, he was dismissed and what happens now for Oregon, um, Holden, you guys were <clears throat> adamant that he was going to be a starter for Oregon. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Oregon has to replace a projected starter. I, I don't know. Like I, I think this hurts the depth 
for Oregon, no doubt about it, obviously. Um, but I don't know if it changes the long-term trajectory of this position group for me very much, just because we don't know what he was going to do. Like he, he wasn't here to register any kind of spring game accomplishment uh, or, or, you know, fall camp game accomplishment. Like he could have been a starter, but he may maybe also could have just struggled to f- figure things out. So for me, like, I, it, it's going to impact things a little bit, but I, I think Oregon's still, you know, chugging along where they're at position wise. Well, I mean, I, I think there's obviously room to be optimistic. There's plenty of talent remaining, just very much unproven. And then, of course, there's a transfer portal, which I would be probably surprised if they didn't at least take a peek at in May when that, that opens back mm-hmm. up. Because, uh, you know, a year ago, the top two Z receivers were Chase Coda and Dante Thornton. They're both gone. Trace on Holden was brought in specifically to fill that spot. Um, had the starting experience at Alabama this past season. Um, kind of logical that he felt like the replacement for Chase Coda. And now you look on the roster and you go, well, if it's if it's now it's not Holden, who is it? Who's back? And I think that's the part where you go, okay, it's potentially either true freshman Jorian Dickey, it's redshirt freshman Kyler Casper. Um, you've got both uh, uh, Chris Hudson and Tez Johnson, who are slot receivers, maybe one of those guys, it's not a very natural fit for either of those guys yeah. to play on the outside because just based on size and physical shortcomings, I guess you would say. Um, but maybe you can get creative and, and, and utilize those guys a little differently. But, yeah, I mean, I there's just not a, a clear-cut replacement who you go, okay, well, that just makes a ton of sense right away. Like even Isaiah Crocker and Josh Delgado are guys who are ex-receivers. Well, Crocker's gone. That's so. right. He left. I just, it just dawned on me as yeah. I was saying it. Crocker finally, finally took off. Uh, but, yeah, just the guys you have returning, it, there's not really anybody who you point to and go, ah, here's the really easy answer. It's You're either relying on freshmen, you're relying on – players who played other positions or you're adding a player through the portal. And I, I imagine the set, the latter will be what they will be a route. They at least look at. Um, Cause I, I, you know, while I still think gosh, Troy Franklin can win a ton of one on battles. I think they've got some great, we know Chris Hudson is in the slot. We have talked about what Tez Johnson can be and, and, and his explosiveness. I just don't necessarily know who makes sense out there. I mean, Jaron Dickey, yep. that sounds great as a true. I, I love the idea of relying on a true freshman and, and that's might ultimately what happens, but I mean, how many times have you said, yeah, this true freshman is going to be awesome, and maybe they were awesome in November and December, but, boy, they weren't awesome the first couple of months. And receiver is, relative to other positions, probably one of the positions you can pick up and play the quickest at the mm-hmm. collegiate level if you have the physical tools, which we know Jerion does. But it is asking him you know, quite a lot out of a, a, a true freshman, even a five-star rated recruit, to come in and, and pick up that kind of a role. So I don't know if that will be the ultimate outcome, but the door now is wide open for him to step into it uh, or a Kyler Casper or a player they add to the portal or shoot. I haven't mentioned the other true freshmen. I, you know, Ashton Cozart's another name that would make sense in terms of that would be a position he could play based upon his skill set. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you, like I said earlier, there aren't like, Oh, Hey, here's two or three options that make a huge amount of sense. The guys that you're relying upon who are remaining are, are either completely unproven or haven't played this position early. Right, and that's the exact reason that that we had Trayshawn Holden in as a starter because he was at least proven to some degree. Uh, he played Z receiver at Alabama. He started multiple games there. I'm not saying he was God's gift to the world at Alabama, but he at least had in-game competition where he put up numbers against SEC level of, of programs, and he was the clear Z receiver on the roster. And with him 
now dismissed from the team, like Eric just went through, there's no clear person that you just plug and play. Uh, yeah, you could go in after Jurion Dickey, but like Eric said, you're relying on a true freshman. And I understand that it is wide receiver and Jurion has looked very good in high school films and all that good stuff. Uh, he's still not on campus. He might be an early enrollee for spring term. He might not be. So then you would be relying on a true freshman in his first collegiate experience to then learn the playbook and become a true starter you know, right away after enrolling just in the summer or in the fall, which is a difficult task to do. Um, if he were enrolled right now and were ready to go for spring ball, I think that there could be a really good chance that he would be a starter. And I'm not trying to dismiss the uh, the possibility of him being a starter because he certainly could be. He could surprise us all and learn the playbook and do all that good stuff. But it's a little difficult. It's hard. So I would expect Oregon to go full on transfer portal and look for somebody who at least could bridge the gap. Um, they could just bring in somebody who's like a Chase Coda, where um, his career is pretty solid at another school. Um, but does well in this offense because they have to rely or they have to throw two guys on Troy Franklin most of the time, or they have to worry about Chris Hudson or Tez, Tez Johnson over the middle. Um, they just need more depth there. And unless they're going to convert a cornerback or a safety to wide receiver, which they've done in the past, and they certainly have options this year, I guess Solomon Davis, I guess Roderick Pleasant, um, I would rather see those two guys yeah. develop a corner and not kind those of guys aren't even really around. Z receivers. Sorry. Sorry. I just yeah. said those guys aren't even really Z receivers. They don't fit what you need there. Right. Exactly. And like, I guess you could do it theoretically, but I don't want to do that just because a, they don't fit the position and B their their better development path. is through cornerback. Yeah. Um, your odds of having them become a really big impact player are through cornerback and certainly not wide receiver. And we've seen, what flipping cornerbacks to wide receivers and wide receivers to cornerbacks or safety has done in the past. It's just, it's the last ditch effort. Oregon is not in a last ditch effort scenario here. They still have the transfer portal. Um, they still have the option of running Jerry on Dickey or Ashton Cozart there. Kyler Casper to me is an X receiver. Maybe I don't know anything, which is probably true, but maybe junior Adams sees him as a Z receiver and they move him there. Um, I don't know. They're, they're not in a last-ditch scenario here, but I do think that the loss of Treshawn Holden um, will hurt them for this season just because he was the clear Z guy, and now they have to go find another clear Z guy. And, again, this is why the transfer portal is great, no matter how many naysayers there are about it. Um, Oregon can go and, and pick up a nice little Z receiver in, in, in May just right after right after spring football. So, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see how they solve the puzzle, but I, I think it does hurt them for the time being. I mean, just to look at the the names in the portal right now, you, you, there isn't a, a ton of guys that immediately jump out, but I mean, just a quick search and you find a former four-star receiver, Quincy Brown from TCU, who was a member of the 2020 recruiting class, six foot three and a half, very similar size to Treshawn Holden. Um, had, 15 offers coming out of Louisiana um, at his prep high school, Alabama being one of them, um, TCU being the school that he signed with. I mean, two teams that, you know, TCU made the college football playoff. Alabama is consistently in the college football playoff. Um, maybe it, it's a bounce back. Georgia offered him as well a scholarship. So, you know, that's three teams that know what they're doing. And, you know, things didn't really play out for him at, at TCU. I don't know the backstory, but it's just, just an example. You can go find some type of players like Jared's mentioning of either it's a, a guy like Chase Coda or maybe it's a bounce back player who 
came into his school with lofty expectations and it just hasn't happened and is looking for a fresh start. Um, that would, if, if I'm Oregon and, and I go to the portal, I would ideally like to find someone that's here one year though. I, I think that would be the move in out very similar to Dan Altman's early season, you know, early career moves of, of landing guys, bridging a gap and allowing you to go recruit somebody else to fill that gap a year later. Right. Or it's just a, or it's a guy that you feel like is just going to be a, a starter for two or three, three seasons, you know, at Oregon. That's, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm looking for. Either someone that can come in right away like Coda did and, and he's gone, or you're, you really think he's going to be a starter for multiple years. Yeah. And if we're just spitballing here, um, players that are on the roster that make some semblance of sense is don't, I mean, could you see Kenyon Sadiq split out wide a little bit yeah. more? Have see him kind of maybe cross training between positions. Of course that puts pressure on the tight end room, which is very shallow to begin with. So I don't know how much you want to go down that road, but it makes sense from a physical perspective and sort of the position that's, I think essentially what he's been playing in high school for the most part until this last year where, where he's been getting a little bit of run at tight end, but um, there's a name to know um, a position move that I don't expect, but that would be just kind of comical given the way his career has gone would be Brian Addison going back to receiver. Um, <laughs> I, I'm laughing as I'm saying that I don't take that very seriously, but that's just a name on defense. Like if you just look through the roster and go like, okay, who could theoretically play that position? Well, he has played that position before. Um, but that I don't know if that makes sense, but that would clear up some of that safety uh, uh, kind of collection of bodies that we're not totally sure how it's going to work out. Uh, I don't expect that to be the case at all. I'm, I that's hope total not, man. I hope not. Because yeah. uh, I don't even think for Brian, that's he played really well this last year, actually, yeah. at safety, I thought at times. So, <clears throat> no, I mean, but like, I, 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 mean, I, don't, I don't really have any concerns that this is going to be um, like, oh, my gosh, they lose – Two, three extra games because Trisha right. Holden couldn't make it through a couple of months without getting into some stuff and being removed from the roster. But it's it's certainly similar to the Elite Terry thing. I think we'd be lying to if we said that you shouldn't be concerned at all and this is just going to be resolved and everything's going to be hunky-dory. Like They're, they're going to go have to go out and find a player to add here or rely, rely upon the remaining players on the roster. And the remaining players on the roster are either, as we said, pretty inexperienced or, or guys that don't really fit that position so it's going to be i think kind of fascinating to see but i think you now go into the spring um part of you know spring football and you go okay it would be interesting to see and kind of watch and see who fits where if it's if it's there you know if there's anyone who stands out and maybe just takes kind of control they're like who's your day one there if jurion dickey's not here and kyler casper as jared said had been working at x i imagine they'll give him a look at z there's not really any alternatives which is why i imagine casper if if if, if he beats dickey onto campus is probably your your first day of spring starter at z i can't really think of anybody else who'd make sense who's who's left over uh, yeah i don't uh, so you know that, that's that's the part where i think you just have to kind of think okay they're probably going to add an offensive or sorry a tight end and they're probably going to add a, a wide receiver and not some receiver at some point after after oregon concludes spring football i mean again i i guess theoretically they could look for hudson to move over to z and just play tez at the at the slot, like I know Hudson has played Z before and he's talked about it. Um, and that like kind of all the, all the wide receivers to a point learn Z in the slot, except for Troy Franklin, who's literally just an X receiver as he should be. Um, but I don't like that. I don't want Chris Hudson playing Z. I, I, he's not the type of physique you want out there. To, and then you really only have one jump ball guy. You only have one pass or one guy you could throw a deep ball to where it could be a contested catch. I mean, 
we look at back back at the Georgia game where where Bonex threw a contested pass to to Chris Hudson, and you know he's five eleven on a good day, and that's just not exactly who you want to be high pointing the football, mostly because <laughs> you can't get as high as somebody who's six foot two or six foot three. Um, so again, yeah, I mean there there is cause for concern. I don't think it'll be make like Eric said. I don't, you know I don't expect them to lose two or three games because of their lack of having a Z receiver, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, heading into spring ball in just a couple of weeks here, there's a clear whole giant gap there. Unless they move um, one of the incoming or the early enrollees in there, maybe they could do that. Um, I guess Ashton Kozar could be a good name there. But, again, and that's relying on a true freshman. Um, and then you just, like, I don't know, I kind of wonder about depth there now too because it was one thing when you had Treshawn, who was the clear number one guy and the clear experienced guy, but – now you don't have him. Now you don't have any experience. Now you don't necessarily have a clear Z receiver. Um, and that's not only just as a starter, but also as a backup. So I, I think it's a position of need extremely. I think adding a receiver there and then a couple tight ends always is going to help. So, well, I mean, I guess we'll see what they do around May. Is this the biggest concern we have for the offense? Or is it tight end depth or now the – maybe the inexperience of the position coach along the offensive line. Like the, the narrative of Oregon's offense has kind of shifted just a little bit. Like, I don't think they're still going to be really good, but like you felt like everywhere you were pretty locked in. Now, all of a sudden new position coach along the offensive line with very little experience. Does experience matter? I don't know. Um, and one of your projected starters at, wide receiver is now gone and you still haven't filled the depth issue that you had at tight end. I'd probably go with the offensive line being the thing I'm most concerned about of all of it. Um, just because I think everybody understands when you have lackluster play there, what happens? I don't expect it to be lackluster. Um, but I, I also know that they're, you're playing the hand you've been dealt at along the offensive right. line. There's not really any way to change it. Whereas at receiver through the portal, you can go correct that tight end through the portal. You can go add bodies to correct that. So um, offensive line is the one where you're kind of, you, you, you're, you're doing what you've got, you know, what you have and you're just kind of operating with it. You can at least sort of change some of the circumstances through the portal at receiver and tight end. So I'd go offensive line would be the one I'm perhaps most concerned with just in terms of because you can't change it. Um, but I mean, at least the offensive line, you know you've got starting caliber players at every spot, and I don't know if you can say the same thing um, at Z. And then at tight end, I don't know if you can really say with a ton of confidence that you think you've got a full allotment of, of tight ends. So um, those are certainly – I mean, yeah, there, there, there are now th three pretty clear holes offensively. You know, it's kind of funny when you think about where the offensive position groups were thought to be once they concluded the bowl game, and you thought, well – Tight end, most of these guys should be back, should be back. All these guys could be back, and you, cut, you certainly expected McCormick would be one of them if he did return to college football. He'd be back, and you kind of thought, okay, they'll be good there. Well, a couple guys take off, and then you think about the offensive line position. Well, you knew all those guys were departing. You loved what they added, but then the position coach took off, and I think that was somewhat unexpected. And, and now, of course, this is undoubtedly the most unexpected part because you can't prepare for something like this, and it does put the receiving room in a tough spot. So, um, you know, Oregon is having to deal with some – kind of early off-season adversity. Uh, so so far, so good in terms of how they've handled it. Like I was, I think Terry, as we talked about earlier on the podcast, makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, we haven't really mentioned the swift nature of it, but 
I think good on Dan Lanning for having a very clear policy of what you do with players that that break the law and and, and you know and and making a swift decision there to to, to 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 remove him from the roster. I think that speaks to what the program stands for and, and and kind of what the standard is to be a part of it. At the same time, of course, now it does cause some problems because as we've said already, and we won't belabor it, you have to go find a player or two to to fit there um, going forward. So no, there's there's questions along the offense that I don't know if we anticipated we'd be we'd be asking you know, only a couple months ago. I'm still, I'm still not really concerned about the offense overall. I really, because of the transfer portal, because of the nature that they can just get players in, in the program, I feel pretty good about it. And for the offensive line concerns, I think the room is extremely talented. I think you got a lot of dudes. I think you have uh, you know, Connerly and Johnny Cornelius as your two tackles. Junior Agenlau, uh, Marcus Harper, Stephen Jones, Jackson Powers, Johnson, Dave Iuli. Um, I think those are all really good names. I think that Elite Terry, despite the fact that he only has one year as a full offensive line coach at Hawaii in 2021, I think he'll be fine. Um, I think it's a good room to jump yourself into, mostly because you're not moving in. Um, you know, obviously these guys didn't start at Oregon last year, but they've all have starting. Most of them all have starting experience, um, including some of the guys that he brings back from his own Oregon roster. I mean, Johnny was starting left tackle at Rhode Island last year. Junior Aguilar was a starting right guard or left guard at Texas for three years. Um, Connor Lee, you know, didn't have any starting experience, but was certainly a guy who made names for himself during last year's camp, made names for himself during last season, a part of that 14J package. I think offensive line is going to be fine. I, it, Who knows where we'll compare to last season, just because of how dominant last year's offensive line was, excuse me. Um, but... I think because of the transfer portal, and, and this is, another, again, another good reason about it, you can just go in and get some guys when you need it. Um, it'll be interesting to see who leaves the program. I think that might be a bigger concern in the end. But um, for now, my offensive concerns are still where they where they were three weeks ago, two weeks ago, two months ago. Get some backup tight ends. Good Lord. I mean, there's three guys. And if one goes down, you suddenly don't have a real starter and someone who – played like under 200 on 200 snaps last year and Patrick Herbert and a dr brand new true freshman in Kenya Sadiq who's six foot three 225 pounds um that's not necessarily tight end weight in terms of this offense so they need some backup tight ends yeah I would I would probably say receiver is probably the third one for me um I would I could be sold either way tight end or the offensive line um probably shift with agreement with Jared, the tight ends are the issue just because you have three, like <laughs> that, that's, that's not yeah. a lot. Uh, you, you need more, at least the offensive line, like Jared said, has talent. They have a lot of dudes. Um, they've got the pieces if you know, they've got extra pieces if the first five don't work. Whereas at tight end right now, kind of very similar, like with the men basketball team, maybe the women too, like these are the pieces you have and, you, you, you can't find more. You can't add more. You, you've got these deficiencies, and you can't fix them because you've only got X number of players to, to solve them, and that's not enough. So um, if, if you're Oregon, I, I, I would much rather load up on a tight end than a wide receiver portal add. If, like you're saying, if, if you could pick, if you could only choose one addition, if you only could choose one, I mean, you're at 89 scholarships right now. So it's not like it's not as pressing as it was. It, it's not as pressing as it was, but at the same time, like you still kind of need to get down to 85 at some point, and adding two more go to, to 
91 it makes it a lot more harder to get down to 85. So if you only have choice of one, I, I would rather have tight end. Probably just from a numbers perspective. I just think you are a little bit deficient at, at, at receiver now. Um, I, I mean, I, I would hope that they would try to add two if they could, to be honest with you. Like, or, or the plan is you've yeah, got players on your roster that you can move over to fill slots, which we talked about at tight end, which Jared, where Jared selected Mateo Uyunglele as his, as his, uh, yeah. as his, his freshman. He's most excited to see with the football as a tight end. Um, I'd rather, I mean, if, if, I, I just think, I, I think you can actually probably get m almost more creative with moving tight ends than you can with moving receivers mm -hmm. that fit a starting caliber role. So, I mean, it's sure. not, it, none, none of it's like super, super dire where I, again, as I said, I think the season's over right now in, in February or anything, but I, I do think you've got positions to clearly address. Like, I, I think we'd be dis disingenuous to say they don't. Yeah, I think they probably had two or three more scholarship guys in the portal just because there's going to be more guys leaving. I mean, they had 20 or 21 players leave in the portal this last time around. Um, they've added 40 new guys, so there's only 40 or 39 new guys, so there's uh, 50, 50 old other players that are still on the roster. Um, some of those guys are going to get beat out by somebody who's either a true freshman or an incoming transfer. It's just going to happen, and those guys are going to want to leave. Um, so I, I think, again, the, the, the scholarship math, that everybody tries to do. I, I, the only people who really understand it are going to be inside the program and what they have in front of them. Um, so I'm, again, I'm, I talked about this again on, on the podcast before. I'm putting my blind faith in Marshall Malco and some of those guys who are number crunching rather than rather than what I, what I see from elsewhere. So I, I think that they'll be fine in a scholarship count. I just think that they they need both a scholarship tight end and they need a scholarship Z receiver. Um, it makes life so much easier if you could say that you have a reliable Z receiver in this offense. Um, look what look what the team was like when Chase Cota went down. I mean, Dante Thornton was reliable at points, but outside of that Utah game, never never really performed. Um, granted, it was a hell of a game against Utah, um, but Chase Cota was at least consistent and reliable, and he could go and get you fifty five or four or five yeah. catches for sixty to eighty yards, um, maybe a touchdown every once in a while, but. You need somebody opposite of that, of uh, opposite of Troy Franklin. I think Tez and Hudson are going to be great little slot receivers. But and then you need a tight end depth. I've been saying this for weeks. You need somebody behind Terrence Ferguson. And the, and the other thing for me is if where you have a lot of players currently are at places where you have no scare. Like there's no scarcity at all on the defensive line. And so if a couple players don't work no. out there, I'd much rather players don't work out there than carrying. You know, nine nose tackles. I know that's I know I'm being hyperbolic because it's not that many. But if you if it was a choice between having four tight ends You're and close. a starting Z receiver you like, or having nine nose tackles, I think you'd rather have seven nose tackles to open up room for those other positions where right. you have got where you've got clear holes right now. Yeah. Where as long on the on the defensive line, I think you feel pretty good about what you have at least from a depth perspective right now. For sure, and there's still names on the defensive front. I think we've maybe talked about on this podcast before that are still there. They've made it through the first round of the cuts and maybe they'll make it through the second round, but maybe they'll decide um, that some of these guys who are coming in are pretty good and that I'm probably not going to get playing time after I didn't get playing time last season. So I think there's still options for Oregon here, um, which is a good thing. And I, again, this is what all major programs do. They run into spring camp with 90 to 93 yep. players and people end up leaving because 
who they brought in are better than who they already have, which is the goal of every program. All right. That's going to do it for us on this Friday edition of the podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the mailbag. Who knows what basketball will produce for us. It's been a downward spill for both programs. Um, maybe they turn it around. Maybe we, talk about that maybe we talk about some recruiting uh maybe we talk more about oregon football spring football and hey baseball jared baseball starts today. happy opening day everybody season opener so we'll get a season recap opener. there happy as well uh for the men's or the men's uh for the baseball program but uh until next week you've been listening to the odds and audibles podcast talk to you later folks peace